So I'm uh, speaking with a composer, Henry Jackman. Henry is, of course, known for, I mean, all such amazing body of work from X-Men First Class to uh, Kingsman. Uh, this year he did Kong, Skull Island, uh, Kingsman, uh, The Golden Circle. And he has Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, uh, opening this weekend. Uh, Henry, thank you so much for uh, chatting again. Oh, it's a pleasure. So, you know, we've, we've done plenty of interviews in the past, and we did a great video interview that we sat down and kind of discussed everything. So this will be just kind of a nice chat about uh, Jumanji. So this, uh, so what, I think originally James Newton Howard was set to score this film, and he had to uh, take off of it because of the scheduling. So when did you come on to the project, and uh, how did you kind of get involved? That's a good question. It's a while now. So I'm almost struggling to remember. I think... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Once you get involved and you get writing, it's it's it sort of almost feels like ancient history how you even came came into it. <laughs> I can't to be honest with you, I cannot exactly remember other than uh talking to Jake, the director. Right. Who's um very collaborative, very creative and he 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 has a great family history if you know about what his father got up to, you know, and still does. Yeah, the cast <laughs> Exactly. It's a sort of uh, aristocratic Hollywood lineage there. Right. Um, so I was very excited. And uh, I think, I can't remember when, let's see, it might have been this time last year, um, I was I read the script, um, which I thought was really well written. The funny thing about Jumanji is given that it's a long time after such a sort of childhood favorite nostalgic film, which of course featured the now late, great Robin Williams. Right. There's a, I don't know what to call it, exactly how to describe it, but, you know, a sort of reticence and a nervousness when it was like, oh, well, they're making another Jumanji film. There's a sort of certain amount of eyeball rolling. I'm like, oh, dear, really, are they? You know, why don't they leave my childhood, uh, you know, memories of, of such a wonderful uh, emotional film alone? And, you know, so I probably shared some of those feelings when I got the script. But when I read the script, you know, it may be heresy to say it, I actually thought the narrative and the structure of the story was, was better than the first one. Now, that, that may be because I'm not as emotionally attached to the first one. It wasn't one of those films that, um, you know, like for me, I guess it would have been Indiana Jones. Right, yeah. Lost, right? Like, but I read the script, and it immediately became clear to me, um, if Jake was as good at, at directing as, as writing, then we were in for a good ride, because it's a very well-structured um, story that has, I mean, he, he's known for comedy, but I mean, it had a lot of adventure, had a lot of comedy, actually had a surprising emotional um, weight to it that you sort of associate with, you know, Disney. Disney animation films always hit you somewhere along the line with an unexpected right. uh, emotional punch. But I just remember thinking, wow, this guy can really write. I don't know why I should sound surprised about that. <laughs> and it turns out he really knows how to direct as well. And the great thing for me is... Uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm slightly uh, schizophrenic musically because I've just had such an eclectic background that I'm just as happy making crazy industrial noises on, you know, something like Captain America 2, like Winter Soldier or something like that. But I also have profound, uh, uh, you know, excitement about uh, scores whose lineage is more related to, I don't know, James Horner, Alan Silvestri, John Williams. You know, it's a different... It's sort of before we all got minimalist and electronic, you know. Right. <laughs> there's a, yeah, absolutely. There's a completely different heritage of film music, you know, which I love, absolutely love it. And there aren't that many action-adventure films where a director is in a position, you know, of his own accord and because it suits the filmmaking, to celebrate 
a thematic symphonic score that isn't, you know, minimalist or covered in ostinatos or uh, having all sorts of electronic and ambient texture. I'm not knocking any of those things. I also do those things. But, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. I was like, oh, fantastic. This will be, if I'm lucky and Jake is amenable uh, to this proposition, then uh, as far as I can make out, this really ought to be, the score for this ought to be uh, in that lineage and be a celebration of symphonic and, you know, um, sort of virtuoso orchestrated thematic music. And, you know, it's not like Hollywood's full of those kind of opportunities in 2017. So I just jumped at it. Absolutely. And I mean, I'm, I was one of those people when I saw the trailer, kind of my eyebrow raised, like, what? And then the reviews are coming in. And congratulations. It's such like, it's being so well received. And then I, I listened to the score and I was so excited to hear what you were able to do. I mean, I know your love for Alan uh, Silvestri and, and I definitely, I could feel you kind of pulling him into the score a little bit. And um, uh, talk about the approach uh and dealing with the story, I mean, because it is, it, you mentioned as action, adventure, um, heart, and uh, comedy, and how did you kind of find the right tone for this film? Well, the first mission really, and uh, it's quite well represented in the first track on the CD, I think it's called uh, Jumanji Overture. Yes, yeah. And in order to sort of really put my flag in the turf, as it were, <laughs> I thought the best thing to do, because, well, you know what it's like. I mean, you're so knowledgeable about film music. There, there can be a tendency to be scared of theme. Yeah, yeah. Um, in, in modern film music. And, and I completely understand that. If you're doing a movie like, you know, uh, Sicario, nothing could be less appropriate than some giant bells and whistles symphonic score covered in <laughs> stirring themes. That would be preposterous for a movie like Sicario. And Sicario has an amazing score that's, you know, much more textual. It's fantastic. But with a movie like this, it would be a crying shame not to um, go the whole way thematically, as it were. So I thought my sneaky sort of first mission would be to sort of write an overture, banging in as many themes <laughs> as I could in three minutes and 30 seconds or whatever it was to sort of almost uh, to present to Jake the menu, yeah, um, the menu for, for, for the film. And, uh, and I'd soon find out if he listened to it and went, well, I think that's, you know, a bit much the sort of theme flying all over the place. Then I knew I was in trouble. And if he listened to it and went, oh, fantastic, this is what we need, then I knew I'd be in, in, in good shape. And I've already sort of, you know, it was my way of selling uh, the theme. So I spent a lot of time um, away from the computer and orchestration and the rest of it with my iPhone, piano, manuscript, paper and pencil and just working away on themes, to be honest. Um, in uh, in hopes that they could all get used and it's the sort of movie that would uh, not keep pulling its punches and try and hide themes all the time. So I probably spent a good six, seven weeks refining, 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 getting these themes out of the door, which is probably best represented, in, like I say, in that first track, of Jumanji yeah. Overture. And to my great relief, when I played it to Jake, I mean, he was jumping up and down. I mean, I shouldn't be surprised with his heritage and his... Um, angle on filmmaking but you don't know because he'd never done a a big Hollywood blockbuster or or, or a action film he, he funny enough he'd been known for comedy right so one of my fears is that well maybe he's going to push the comedy angle but I, I couldn't have been more wrong he was an extremely not musically knowledgeable and very classy individual who uh, throughout the collaboration of the score uh, in fact became so sort of musically conversant we were able to have quite specific conversations about orchestration and melody and harmony and all that sort of it's fantastic. Um, so yeah, it was sort of a, 
are guilty. If 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 you've got a musical background where you have studied your know, Debussy and Ravel and Stravinsky and all, all the rest of it, of course you're never going to write music as good as <laughs> you know the giants of 20th century concert music. But if you've got some of those paints in the cupboard, you know it's a real shame if you don't get to use them. <laughs> and it, it always amuses me because uh, I I feel like. I don't know. I feel like because I've got all this different eclectic background, it's just two sides of a same coin to me. I mean, I, I was extremely excited to, like I say, I always use the Winter Soldier as a good example because it's so industrial and barbaric. And I really enjoy that. And then I really enjoy, um, uh, you know, this sort of symphonic, thematic approach. But I guess you can never quite win because people, <laughs> people who really like things like Winter Soldier, who, who go, oh, this is, this is dope. Uh, go, what the hell is all this frilly, meaningless orchestral music? <laughs> People who really like orchestral music, like, oh, well, that's better, you know. Uh, you know, Jackman's pulled his finger out and can actually write, you know, half half a decent <laughs> tune. And and then you know, if they hear things like Winter Soldier, they go, what the hell is that? That's just noise. <laughs> no, t- yeah, I know. Remember we talked about that? How it it did kind of. No, garner... oh, you can't win, but yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, you've just got to if you're if you are lucky enough to have been sort of musically educated in all these sort of different aspects of music then you just enjoy them when and when they're appropriate when different styles are um you know are called for so I mean, the main thing with this movie is if if you saw the movie without music it's blindingly obvious that you know this is not the time to to bust out um all your electronic chops it's time for a you know a good rumbunctious adventurous celebratory um symphonic score yeah i mean i mean i and i lo- i really loved it I, I i wrote my review on it and it just it was such so enjoyable like it was i just had so much fun with it and um but you i mean were did you have to kind of embrace electronics a little bit for kind of the video game aspect of you know kind of they changed the whole thing no really no um no it's i mean to be honest with you, i think every single instrument in that score is acoustic there isn't there is a video game it's funny unlike wreck it ralph where the video game element actually um is so embedded and and sort of implied throughout the film it had you know a musical knock-on effect with little eight-bit sort of pieces that sounded like a sort of namco (laughs) um, arcade game but and then there was a lot of synths and whatnot because the actual world into which Wreck-It Ralph and Penelope get sucked, has so many visual references. Um, whereas Jumanji, even though, without giving the story away to your listeners, has a video game element to it because they are sucked into this Jumanji world, once they arrive in the Jumanji world, it feels more like a sort of classic Indiana Jones world, even though the story structurally has this video game aspect to it. So that being the case... Unlike Wreck-It Ralph, there really is, you know, almost no electronics at all. The only kind of non-orchestral element, for want of a better way of putting it, is um, there's a piece called Brantford High and a piece at the end, which is when they're teenagers before they've been transformed and pulled into it. And so that's more like, you know, sort of high school flavor. So there's acoustic guitars and drums and a few electric guitars knocking around the place to more represent, you know, um, Brantford High School. 90210. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah right. Yeah. Uh, since the, I mean the film does uh, have three really big uh, comedic leads. I mean you have Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart and Jack Black. Um, as a composer, when you're dealing with kind of pretty bold performances that kind of rely on there is physical comedy in there. There is kind of uh, you know dialogue, situational comedy. Did you have to kind of navigate around that uh, with the music? Yes, and that's very well put, because navigate around is exactly what you need to do. 
um, the to be the fact that there was a strong because Jake, you know, he's 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 a great comedy writer as, uh, and he wrote you know co-wrote this story. Um, the challenge with there being a strong comedic element to a film it's, in regards to music is always that you have to keep, <laughs> you have to stop for the jokes to yeah, <laughs> put yeah. it as crudely as possible. <laughs> It's that, and but the trick it is that you you know you don't want a hat on a hat. So if there's comedy and it's working, your best bet as a composer, as you carefully put it, is to navigate your way around. You should think of it like a, you know, you know, in skiing when they have that slalom where the flags are in the ground, you have to weave around. If you think of the jokes as the flags, (laughs) you don't want to be doing. Leave them alone and like weave around them. And sometimes it it means. little structurally interesting things in the queue where you just have a couple of or two or three beats rest and then pick up as you left off. You, you need gaps, but they shouldn't be so long that you think the piece has ended. You, you end up learning a little bag of tricks to do with a sort of continuity in music that needs pauses, but in such a way that you know that the piece is continuing. <laughs> yeah. That makes any sense. But yeah, your best bet is, on pu- you know, never get in the way of a punchline. Yeah, because, I mean, comedy is so, uh, you know, it's so reliant on timing and the edit and kind of to make sure that those, those lands and i can't imagine how hard it is to make sure that, that your music timing is kind of dancing around that timing <laughs> yes and it's an interesting point because unlike the grand sort of sweep of things we were talking about earlier where where it's you know a pencil manuscript paper piano iphone thinking about these once you get into this sort of detail you're talking about now we're more in this kind of swiss watch area where it really is the those little slopes in the BPM to sort of crescendo, get, get a crescendo going and stop at the exact moment in time for the delivery of a punchline. That's all much more kind of, you know, micro management of, of a piece to, to really lock into the comedy. Absolutely. Um, well, I mean, overall, the, I mean, the film, congratulations, because it is, I mean, it's, I mean, it might be one of my favorite scores of yours. It's just so fun. I mean, just loved it so much and the themes and everything. Um, earlier this year, you did, I did want to touch a little bit. You, you got to return to the world of Matthew Vaughn uh, with Kingsman, uh, The Golden Circle, and you got to kind of uh, work with uh, your friend Matt Margison again, who's amazing. So how did, exactly, um, yeah. how was that kind of re, re, rejoining that world and and uh, how does Matt kind of complement your style, and what does kind of what does he bring to the table in a co-composing role? Oh well, Matt's fantastic. Um, he's uh, he's super creative. You know, he's great with theme. He's great with orchestration. He's also like, working with Matthew Vaughn can sometimes be a challenge. <laughs> that's what I've heard. <laughs> I love the guy, but 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 that that's about the most delicate way I could put it, and for the best reasons. I mean, the guy's seriously passionate about his filmmaking. Yeah. One yeah. and two. He's, by his own admission, a sort of closet music producer. So, you know, every now and then we'll sort of really zone in on a, a few things. That, for example, the poppy theme in Kingsman 2. And drive us all crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but for, for good reasons. Just pushing and pushing and pushing. What if we did this? What if we did that? But what if we did... What about this? And we're like, well, let me go back to like such and such a version and going... You know, I wouldn't say round in circles because we always end up in, in a really good place. But he, he's incredibly demanding but it you know in in a in a way that ultimately produces a fantastic result and and in a way that's impossible to criticize because he has the 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 passion i mean a lot of uh, everyone remembers the sort of passion you have for music as a teenager where it, it's such a passion for music that it's almost defining i mean people use music to define who they are and especially you know it's a sort of known 
um, you know, I don't know what you call it, sociological phenomenon that, that music is so important in teenagers. It's, you know, it's used to sort of form part of your identity, what kind of music you listen to. And it's, unless you do music professionally, it's sort of inevitable that that level of intensity over years, you know, tails off. And that's just not true of Matthew. He's got the, um, that sort of passion. So uh, it's great. And, and, you know, so have I, and definitely so has uh, Matthew Margerson. So, uh, yeah, we, we had so many creative conversations where we were sort of scratching our head thinking, <laughs> are we ever going to get the final version of this uh, poppy theme where we've, we've definitely got the theme and, the, you know, what it's supposed to sound like, the color, the arrangement, all the rest of it. Uh, but we got there in the end. And, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's got a very definite... I would say that, that the, another aspect that, uh, that we appreciate, both me and Matt Margerson, is it's sometimes the case that a director is so busy and has so many other things to think about that if there's a musical challenge at hand, it can sort of feel like you're on your own while the director's just sort of uh, giving half-assed notes and, right. and, and you're trying to <laughs> decide what the hell to do. And the fantastic thing about Matthew Vaughan is he's in the trench with you. He's he's covered in mud, yeah. you know, just like you are, uh, <laughs> as part of the musical team. And, you know, however um, however tricky it can be to find a certain, you know, creative aspect to a film, it doesn't half help when you feel like your director's, you know, it, charging into battle just like you are with the same sword and armor covered in, <laughs> covered in crap. Um, so I really appreciate that. But no, look. Well, I was just going to say the other. It, it was sort of a. It's always tempting to think. See, oh, sequels are easy. You've already got the themes. So it's like, well, you know, apart from anything else, there was this new statesman theme, and it, it's always deceptive to think you're retreading territory because you never quite are. It's always different. Uh, second time around, something me and Matthew and Margeson discussed a lot. It's, I mean, you know, we had the Kingsman theme, right? Yeah, There's and and theme. the statesman theme, but it's. It, yeah, it, it's never quite the same animal, you know. And uh, the introduction of the John Denver song was so such a unique, kind of gave it a unique texture and color to the whole score. I mean, it became uh, Merlin's, true, yeah. Merlin's theme, you know. Exactly. And, well, that's another thing that me and Matthew Marston often uh, discuss that we also appreciate about Matthew Vaughan is he's bold. One of the great pieces of advice I got from uh, just it's actually just a little kind of um, impassing remark he once made. Uh, we weren't even working together at the time. He was stuck on some bit of writing or whatever whatever the challenge was. I can't remember what it was, but I remember him saying, "Look, well, the bottom line is, you know, if you hit a crossroads and you're not quite sure what to do, out of all available options, you should just always go for the boldest because then at least if you're completely wrong, at least you go down in flames." <laughs> And uh, I, I, and you can tell that's part of his personality because uh, there'll be musical choices with needle drops or just maneuvers like why don't we have the John Denver song for Merlin? The the you know they're pretty bold but they end up having a you know they end up having significant impact and you know as long if you have good judgment with which Matthew Vaughan does then these things you know it's it's worth being bold. Yeah, for sure. And he is. I mean, he's one of the boldest most stylistic uh i think auteur director is working today i mean his style is unmatched <laughs> definitely there's no, whatever you want to say about matthew vaughan you could not accuse his films of not having an artistic opinion yes <laughs> I mean, <it's> just, <laughs> that just is 
that's just how he's built as a person, you know. Absolutely. So, you know, we're, we're kind of closing out the year here and uh, to kind of wrap things up at the interview. I was wondering if you have any uh, New Year's resolutions for yourself personally, uh, professionally. Do you have any goals for 2018? Ooh, well, you've, you've got me there because the thing about <laughs> writing film scores, especially if you do loads of them like I do, the, the <laughs> there's usually not enough gap between projects <laughs> to be sufficiently reflective to come up with anything useful. <laughs> I should probably give up smoking. If I had even half of the intelligence I think I have, I should probably stop smoking, uh, which is a very pedestrian thing to be talking about. Um, well, I feel like, I've got some great projects coming up in 2018. So as my father always used to make me say before I headed off to school, Jackmans must do their best at all times. So there's to be no creative flagging of any kind. And I've just got to launch into uh, these great new projects for next year with, with undiminished enthusiasm, which, uh, which I'm lucky enough to... It doesn't even feel like that will be difficult because it's, <laughs> it's just about the best job I could possibly think of. And if I didn't do it, I, I don't know what I'd do. I'd be putting price labels on food stuffs and so i mean i'd be useless at anything else <laughs> i mean you have a great slate coming up i mean uh you have wreck it ralph 2 which is uh coming um get to re rejoin that world and is it i saw on imdb i don't know if this is true they're making a just cause movie is that true um yes i'm not exactly sure as to the full you know structure and logistics of <laughs> yeah. that that's definitely yeah, let, let's say that's a, a suspended but highly likely possibility. That would be interesting because the game, um, I love the game, and yeah. I love your score for the game. It was great. Thanks, very cool. Um, but, um, but Henry, I just wanted to thank you again for your time and uh, for, for catching up, and uh, many wishes, best wishes for happy holidays and a, and a great new year, and, and I'm sure we'll be talking again next year. <laughs> Indeed. Well, thank you. Happy holidays.